takes a good lead, a big lead. Reisleben looks. He's going. The pitch is high. The throw is safe. He stole it. The throw got by the shortstop, and Brock has done it. They would have thrown him out, but the shortstop couldn't handle the bad throw. And this is it, folks. Brock has now stolen 893. He is going. The pitch is a strike. The throw, he is there. He did it. 5 for An occasion like this goes beyond the momentary thrills of the game. It involves a lifetime of skill and effort. That's not an easy thing, but the moment is here. A 2-2 pitch. Breaking ball. Hit off the pitcher. To the third baseman. No play. Base hit. 3,000 for Lobrock. Typical of the man, Jack. He's knocked down on the pitch before, and then he turns around and hits a line drive off the pitch and knocks him down. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a pleasure to be here this afternoon to join in all the festivities and to rub shoulders with some of the greatest players who have ever played Major League Baseball. You know, the dream of every professional athlete is to leave his mark upon his chosen sports. The desire of every professional athlete is to blaze a trail that is so long and wide that it would take a person to perform at a Hall of Fame level just to measure up. The Hall of Fame has been described by many as a museum for greatness. It's also been described as a place where those players who step into the pressure of the moment and emerged as heroes and that their feet transcend their own career and to this day those feats still remain the standards by which the game is played and I'm proud today to be a part of it. One of the great writers in St. Louis for many, many years, long time at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and a guy that had many articles on Lou Brock and wrote one of the articles very recently, and I say recently within the last few years, and it's why I wanted to get him on, is Dan O'Neill. And Dan, it's always uh, great to hear your voice. I know you've got a bunch of books out on the Blues and the Cardinals, and we could talk about that, but I want to get you on to talk about uh, the late, great, uh, Lou Brock, it's always good to hear your voice. How are you? I'm good, Dan. Always good to visit with you, my old radio partner. So. Absolutely. Um, when when you think of Lou Brock, what what comes to mind for you? Well, I think you know. I, 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 of course, I think a lot of people always think of the World Series when you think of Lou Brock. I mean, he was just so incredible in three World Series, three seven game World Series. He had just amazing numbers, you know, especially in 68 when he hit 464 and set a record with record with 13 uh, hits in the World Series. Um, I don't think I've ever seen uh, a more dynamic player, uh, everyday player that is not, not pitcher per se, but, but uh, in the lineup everyday player uh, is Lou Brock. And that was especially highlighted in the World Series when he helped the Cardinals win two World Championships and lose a heartbreaker in 68 in Game 7. But, you know, the most amazing thing about his World Series stuff is he uh, did all of that in the series and was on two teams that won World Series. And yet, 
because of the presence of Bob Gibson was never a world series MVP. Um, so it's pretty amazing when you think about it. Here's another amazing thing. I was kind of looking at some of Lou's stats and, you know, when he stole 118 bases in 1974, he was, uh, he turned 35 years old that summer. Uh, and as it turns out he stole, he stole 938 bases in his career. 578 of those steals came after his 30th birthday. It's incredible. And two, and 262 were after his 35th birthday. Right. So that's a pretty amazing uh, stat, and uh, uh, just shows he he was a very unique player. I, I just there's not too many players you can compare him to. He was also dynamic in the fact of what he did in the community and beloved in St. Louis. You know, Gibson is kind of this, um, you know, just a, a hard line kind of guy. Ozzy is a different guy. Stan was a different guy in, in, in different ways. Not bad, good, you know, just different. Um, Lou is beloved, and it's just a, a different way to with all these guys. So in personality, how would you def- define um, Lou Brock when you think about him and the community here in St. Louis and his relationship with the fans? Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right, Dan. I mean, I know all those guys you mentioned, and, and they're all good guys. But uh, we were talking, uh, as we've talked before, but Lou Brock was unconditionally a good guy. It didn't matter what the situation was. It didn't matter who you were, where you were. He was a good guy. Now, you know, you, you take uh, Bob Gibson, who I, I know is, a, is a, a nice person, good character down deep. But he's a little more cranky. You know, you got to catch him at the right time. He's got a little edge right to him, a week. little edge to him. Yeah, he brings a little edge, yeah. Lou is more like Stan the Man. Uh, uh, I think those two compare really well. Um, They were always good. I'll give you a little story about Lou. Uh, A good friend of mine uh, bumped into Lou Brock one time at the airport, and he was missing his granddaughter's birthday because he was traveling. And they happened to be getting their shoes shined at the airport, so they're sitting right there next to him or next to each other, and he made some conversation with Lou and that came up that he was missing his uh, granddaughter's birthday. So he had bought him a book or bought his grand granddaughter. I'm sorry, a book, my friend. Uh, and Lou said, well, let me see that book. And he said, do you mind if I, I wish your granddaughter happy birthday? So he opened up the book and he uh, wrote happy birthday to, to uh, my friend's granddaughter by name and signed it Lou Brock. So that's the kind of stuff Lou Brock did, you know, on a daily basis out in the community. He was just a special man. When you think about the greatest trades in in baseball history, and I know you love the game of baseball, it'll go down as the greatest trade in Cardinals history, but when you look at it league-wide, where where do you think this one ranks in terms of baseball history? Well, it it might be the most famous, Dan. I mean, uh, there's been other really lopsided trades, Um, and that trade in particular – Lou Brock coming here for Ernie Brolio was an interesting one because almost to a man, the Cardinal players in 1964 were, were uh, against that trade. They couldn't believe the Cardinals were making that trade. I mean, Brolio had won 18 games the previous season and he'd won 21 games for the Cardinals. And he was a very popular guy in the clubhouse and, and uh, a leader on that team. And that trade really shocked 
the Cardinal Clubhouse. Of course, Brock and, and Chicago hadn't hadn't really found himself yet. Uh, he was still struggling a bit. He was playing center field and right field for the Cubs. And hadn't hit uh, over about 258 or you know right around there for two or three seasons. I hadn't really established himself as as the kind of player he would when he came here. And then he came, comes here and, and just completely changed. Uh, it really changed uh, baseball in the National League for the next several years. I mean, there just there wasn't a player like Brock on the scene at that time who was a combination of both power and speed. I mean, you had Maury Wills with the Dodgers who had stolen a, 104 bases uh, a couple of seasons earlier. Uh, but Wills was pretty much a singles hitter, get on base, steal bases. Brock hit double-figure home runs uh, seven times in his career, uh, so he was a different different cat. You know, he he could hit the ball out of the park, or he could get on base and steal second. And um, he was just uh, a unique player that completely changed the culture for the Cardinals. And they they he fit right in too. You know, it was, it was different because the Cardinals had black players. They had Bob Gibson and Kirk Flood, and they and they were he was a perfect fit here and, and they became a very close team and took off of course in 64. And that, you know, as we've talked before, you name, you can name two, three guys uh, who were the, the keys to the Cardinals success in the sixties. And uh, Brock was certainly uh, right up there at the top of the list. I think you have to go back to that time frame too. Um, and when he got hit number 3000 and all the steals and then mix in the championships and take a look at the time frame of when he went into the Hall of Fame in 1985. He has to be considered, at least in my opinion, one of the most underrated Hall of Famers in the history of the game. Do, do you think that's a fair statement? Yeah, yeah, I do because I've I've seen, you know, especially I think Dan in the last oh I don't know ten fifteen years when you've had sort of this new wave of. Uh, statistical, um, uh, you know, a, a culture in baseball writing, uh, and, and the way it's covered where there's this uh, new wave of statistical, um, information and ways of looking at the game and what players did, you know, with war and launch angles and all that, those things. Um, and so I've seen lists on the internet that, uh, you, you can find stories that say that, that are about, you know, who are, who are the players who, who might not belong in the Hall of Fame who are on the bubble or, or the least impressive Hall of Famers and things? And usually Brock's on that list. And it's amazing to me because, you know, I sort of judge, you can, you can sort of judge players and whether they belong in the Hall of Fame to a certain extent on how they impacted the game. I'll, I'll give you an example, use a different sport. There's always an argument. I mean, who's the greatest hockey player in the history of the game? And often, uh, you know, Wayne Gretzky is is talked about. I mean, he's the great one. He was the greatest player ever. I've always felt Bobby Orr was the greatest player I ever saw because he changed the way the game was played. That's what Brock did. And he got to the, to the Cardinals and took off. And remember, the other thing interesting about Lou Brock was he only played one season of class a ball before he was called to the big leagues. So that had a lot to do with him struggling those first couple three seasons in Chicago. Uh, and then finally finding himself in a different situation here in St. Louis, but he changed the way the game 
was played in the National League. Uh, you know, when he stole, I'll give you another example. When he stole uh, in 1974, uh, when he stole 118 bases, that was more bases than 17 of the 24 major league teams. Right. So, so you know, when I think about Lou Brock, I mean, for, besides the fact that he had 3,000 hits, besides the fact that he stole 938 bases and still holds the National League record with a, 118 steals in one season, he was a unique player that changed the way the game was played in the National League for the next, you know, 10, 15 years. And uh, an uh, underline of that, Dan, is, is what he did in the World Series because those teams didn't know how to deal with Lou Brock. I mean, in 1964, the New York Yankees had never seen anything like Lou Brock. I'll wrap it up with this, and Dan O'Neill is my guest. What What is your lasting impression if you had to kind of sum it up, what, what, and somebody asked you about Lou Brock, what, what's going to, and it could be off the field, on the field, all of it. What, what do you think about when you think of Lou Brock? Well, I usually think of the Brock umbrella. (laughs) (laughs) And he probably would too, because he'd want to sell you one. So that's okay. I always wanted to, I always wanted to see him take the field with one. on. But no, I just sort of a personal, you know, I, I have a lot of, I have, several encounters with Lou. And like I said, they were all good. But one I remember was late in my career at the post-dispatch. I was working on a story and I went over to the uh, ballpark village uh, during one of the hall of fame ceremonies. It was an opportunity to to catch some of those hall of famers and talk to them. And, uh, and they have up, as you know, you're part of it. They have a little private party beforehand upstairs, the restaurant. And I went up and I, I tried to talk to a couple of them and, and they were like, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah, you know, not right now. Um, but I went in, went up and I caught Lou before he walked into this private party. He said, sure, come on in. So he takes me inside and we sit down and this is a party with his peers, guys he hasn't seen in years, maybe, uh, you know, a fun time. Up, and it's a private time. It's not supposed to be a press uh, conference or anything. But he brought me in, sat me down, and sat there at the table, spent 20, 25 minutes with me until I was done, and and uh, and then said, okay, you know, thank you very much. I mean, that's the kind of person he was, and, and uh, there weren't a lot of people that I dealt with in my years of sports writing uh, that were anything like Lou Brock. He was amazing. Hey, Dan, thanks so much for your time and your recollections of, uh, of the great Lou Brock and always appreciate your work and your books and all your years at the Post-Dispatch. Thanks so much. Thanks, Dan. Always great to be with you, buddy. That's Dan O'Neill.